Good morning, everyone. Oh, wait, it's your turn. Introducing Aaron Horn. Thank you, thank you. Hey, good morning. So we're still trying to figure out the best way to do this. So what we're going to do is at the beginning of the service is when we're going to do the time of welcome. So Brian about jumped the gun there. He's ready to worship. All right, so if you'll stand and welcome those around you and then worship with us.
to have children's church through second grade, we need more help. So you have today and next week to find Miss Tracy to say, Miss Tracy, I'm not serving in the nursery. I'm really not serving anywhere with her kids. I want to plug in. I want to help. I want to serve. If at the end of August we cannot get more help, then Children's Church will be pre-K 3 through kindergarten, and first and second graders will remain in here with us. Now, long term, that may happen anyways. First and second graders, you're in school seven hours a day, and you sit there. You can sit in here with us for an hour. But for right now, I don't want to drop that on some of you parents who've been really looking forward to your first and second grader going back to Children's Church. So, in order to continue to have that for first and second grade, we need your help. But please hear my heart. I don't want those of you who are already in Awana and already serving these other areas saying, fine, I'll help too. If you want Children's Church for your first and second grader and you have a first and second grader and you're not serving, I would suggest, hey, let me help once a month. And then you'll have three weeks in here where they won't be in here. So please see Miss Tracy if, if you say, hey, I think this is important for our kids. I want to do this. I'm willing to help miss being in here once a month. We would love to have you be a part of that. The other thing, so that was one. The other thing is our Wednesday night schedule. There was, uh, I mentioned last week that that's going to change starting September 1st. Let me kind of do a quick run through of that. Um, understanding that, that this new schedule may not work for everyone. And, and I'm sorry if that's the case. I've talked to Wanda, who does our kids' choir. I've talked to Curtis, who does our adult choir. I've talked to Rachel over children's ministry. Ryan, who does Team Kid. And we've had many conversations, and we're all in agreement that this new schedule will help out our adults who are serving with our kids. It'll make it a little bit easier for everyone. And there's a couple other pluses as well. So um, number one is our time is going to change. We're going to move it to 6 o'clock. That's not set in stone. We may, that may change, but we're going to start at 6 o'clock. Some of you say, like, I can't get here by 6 o'clock. That's okay. If you get here at 6.05, 6.10, that's fine. Just come. Whatever time you get here, but we're going to start at 6 o'clock. At 6 o'clock, we are going to have praise makers, kindergarten through fifth grade. If you're kindergarten through fifth grade, you're in praise makers. That's our, our kids' choir. They have a lot of fun. They do a great job. We're going to have team kid for our babies through our pre-K. So that'll meet down here in the children's wing. They'll do Team Kid. They're also going to do some songs so that they can come up here and sing for us every now and then. At 6 o'clock, we're going to have youth in the activity room. And at 6 o'clock, we're going to have adult Bible study and prayer over in the education building. At 7 o'clock, our adult choir will begin. This is an old schedule. You all used to do this years ago where the adult choir met alone. So there's a couple things that this does. One, it helps with the number of volunteers that we need. It's hard to find volunteers on Wednesday nights. So that helps with that. Number two, it, it enables our folks who are in choir, you can now either help with youth or you can come to adult Bible study. I'm trying to emphasize adult discipleship a little bit, so it will now free you up to come. And the other thing that it will do that I had not even thought of till last week, somebody mentioned it, is now our youth can join choir if they want. And we have some youth who love to sing. They will now be able to come and be part of the choir because they're not meeting at the same time. So that's what our new schedule will look like starting September 1st. Uh, we'll list that out in the bulletin for you um, next week. And again, I know 6 o'clock may be hard for you, but, but get here as soon as you can. And then you'll get to get home a little bit uh, earlier as well, which I think is a plus. So um, that's what Wednesday nights will look like starting September 1st. What we're doing with the adults, I mentioned it last week. We did it this past Wednesday. I really, really enjoyed it is we spent about 15 minutes together, and then we break up. We broke up into three groups, and we simply talked about 
verses 3 through 6 last week. Being chosen, predestination, those are some great conversations. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the group that I was in. Learned a lot, benefited from it, um, and so hopefully you'll be able to come and be a part of that. All right, praying the scripture this morning. Comes right out of the text we're going to be looking at. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to zero in on, on what I want you to focus on is verses 7 through 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What I want you to focus on this morning is the, that he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, right? This grace that he's lavished upon us. So will you for just a moment pray and just give thanks to God for his grace the riches of his grace that he's lavished upon us, and then I'll close us in prayer, and then we'll worship together some more. Father God, this morning as we gather in this place, Lord, we all need your grace. Every single one of us, God, needs your grace. And I am thankful, Father, this morning that you are rich in grace. You never run out of grace. There is an abundance of grace for us today. So, Father, we, we just humble ourselves before you. God, whatever we have going on in our life, we just say, God, would you pour out your grace upon us. Thank you, Father, for the redemption that is ours in Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have. Thank you, Father, that you have had a plan from before the foundation of the world that centers and culminates in Christ. We have hope in that this morning. Thank you, Father, for what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. And as we continue to sing praises this morning, may our hearts just overflow with love and grace and mercy that comes only, Father, from you. And if there is anyone here today who does not know the forgiveness that is in Christ, the grace that is in Christ, the hope, the redemption that is in Christ, if they are enslaved to their sin, oh, Father, will you set them free today? May they find life today and deliverance today through the name of Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship together. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand And cast away Yeah. 
Yeah. 
Amen. You may be seated at this time. Our children, pre-K 3 through 2nd grade, are going to be dismissed for Children's Church, so you all can make your way out for that. Everyone else, if you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Let me just give you an update while our kids are making their way out on Curtis and Ann. Curtis is doing better. Uh, he plans on being here tonight, Lord willing, for the talent show. He just felt he needed one more Sunday to recover a little bit more before uh, walking up here um, on the stage. And so he will be back hopefully tonight. And then, uh, Lord willing, choir, you'll resume meeting on Wednesday. Um, and you'll be up here singing again next Sunday. So Ephesians chapter 1. Inspector Gadget. Smurfs. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, thank you, He-Man, by the power of Grayskull, G.I. Joe, what do all of these have in common? Well, they were some of my favorite cartoons growing up. They were also cartoons that came out in the 80s. Now, watching cartoons in the 80s is a lot different than watching cartoons in the 2020s. You all have all sorts of apps, and you can watch cartoons 24 hours a day. In the 80s, you watched them on Saturday mornings. And that was it. That was all you had. And so we watched them. One of my other favorite cartoons, which was not released in the 80s, it was released in the late 60s, 70s, began to air is Scooby-Doo. There you go. See, some of you, right? You know it. Scooby, Scooby-Doo, where are you? We got some work to do now. So you're like, you're like, pastor, why in the world are you starting your sermon talking about cartoons? Well, here's why. So in Scooby-Doo, right, one of the lines to that song is, you know we got a mystery to solve. And every episode, right, followed the same plot. There was a mystery to solve. Somebody was underneath that mask, and the crew in the mystery van had to figure out who was underneath the mask. Now, in our text this morning, Paul uses the word mystery. That's why, that's why I started with cartoons and Scooby-Doo. He uses the word mystery. He uses the word mystery multiple times in Ephesians. Now, when he uses the word mystery, it's really important for us to, to know, he doesn't use it in the sense that we think of it. So when we're talking about mystery, we're talking about a riddle or a problem to solve. And that was Scooby-Doo. There was a problem, a mystery. They had to try to solve it. In the scripture, mystery means truth revealed. Something that was hidden, it was known to God, but it was hidden from us, and God makes it known in his revelation. He reveals it. And so this morning, you and I can know who God is because he has made himself known to us. And as he reveals himself to us, what are we to do? Paul says we are to bless his name. We are to praise his name. And so last week we saw Paul begins to do this in this one really long run-on sentence. Verses 3 to 14 in Greek is one long sentence, and he is blessing and praising God. Now, last Sunday, Ryan and I start talking. Ryan encourages me, says it was a great message, and then she says, but you know what you forgot to do? Anybody else pick up on it? I forgot to have you stand and reading of God's word. I was so eager to preach, I just jumped right in. 
because our, our order's been off a little bit, and you guys were sitting down, and I forgot to have you stand. So I'm not going to do that today. So take your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, and please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy and inspired and revealed word to us. We're going to begin in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Father, will you speak to us? You have made yourself known, Spirit of God. Give us the wisdom and the insight this morning to understand. Father, give us the wisdom and the insight to begin to live this out, Spirit of God, and would you so bring your word to our hearts. It is already living and active, but God, may you use it today to just speak to our hearts that you might receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want you to notice three things from our text this morning. They all start with the letter R. We will spend most of our time on the first and the third. The second one we'll go through really quick. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice, the first R is redemption, that we have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. So three questions for us. Number one, what is redemption? What is redemption? Well, this word means to release, to set free. It means to deliver by payment of a price. Its primary usage in the Bible is to buy someone back from slavery. Now, readers in Paul's day, particularly the Jews, but even I think Gentiles too, because they have probably heard, would have thought of two things when they heard the word redemption. Number one, you would have thought of slavery in Rome. One commentary said there was as many as six million slaves in Rome in the time in which Paul is writing. And there was a lot of buying and selling and trading of slaves. And so what you could do if you had the money is you could go buy a slave, you now own them, and then you could set them free. So you paid the purchase price, they're now yours, and rather than keeping them as a slave, you deliver them, you set them free. And so they have that in mind, but then also, particularly for the Jews, when they heard the word redemption, it goes back to the Old Testament. We, we sang about it this morning, right, of God's delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt. So Paul says, in him, that's in Christ, we know that because he just talked about in the beloved, last part of verse 6, and he says, in him, in the beloved, in Christ, we have redemption. We have been released, we have been set free, we have been delivered, this is good news. But again, in the Bible it's speaking of deliverance from slavery. What are we enslaved to? The answer is sin. We, all of us, were enslaved to sin. Just a couple verses from Ephesians, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Go to chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The scriptures are clear. We have been enslaved to sin, but through Jesus, right, we can be redeemed. That leads us to the second question. 
What is the cost of our redemption? Remember, to redeem means to deliver by payment of a price. So what does Paul say? In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his what? Blood. Through his what? Blood. Your redemption came at a great cost. A great price. You have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through his death upon the cross, you can be delivered from your sin. Revelation 1.5 sums it up perfectly. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. We were enslaved. He's freed us from our sins by his blood. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. says, for you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Hear me, the only way for God to redeem sinners like us required Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to take our place. He died for us. Theological terms, we would say substitutionary atonement. He substitutionary, right? In our place, as our substitute, atoned for our sins. He died for us in our place, bearing our sins in his body on the cross, right? So we've all experienced this, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful treat when it happens. You're at, at, at lunch, maybe with a friend, and the bill comes, and they bring two bills, and your friend says, hey, I've got this. And he takes the bill, and you're like, yes save some money right they're like i got this now what are they not saying they are not saying hey i'm gonna pay my bill let's just ditch your bill let's not worry about yours let's just get out of here we won't we won't even pay it that's not what they mean what they mean is i've got you i've got you covered i'm gonna take care of this when god talks about us being delivered he is not saying no payment is required God is not saying, hey, I'm just going to overlook your sin, not that big of a deal, sweep it under the rug, turn my back on it. That's not what he's saying. When God says, in him we have redemption, what he's saying is, I've got you covered. I've got this. I've paid this. I'm taking care of this. There's payment still required, but my son has paid the price. Third question, what is the result of our redemption? What is the result of our redemption? Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So in verse 7, Paul links redemption with forgiveness of sins. The primary result of redemption for the believer is the forgiveness of our trespasses. In him, right, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your trespasses. We are guilty of transgressing against the will of God, of sinning against the will of God. So for us to be redeemed, because we're sinners and we deserve the just judgment and wrath of God for our sins, for us to be redeemed, our sins must be forgiven. They must be covered. We have a debt we can't pay. So what does Paul say? Through the blood of Jesus, we can have forgiveness. Church, this is good news. In him, you are free from bondage to sin. Amen? No longer enslaved. Not only are you free from sin, you are forgiven. And Paul says, no longer under condemnation. But rather you have been delivered from the judgment and wrath of God. We sing, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. Now, I want to camp out for a few moments because I want us to really see how God's redemption impacts our lives. 
And I want, I want to do this, and many of you have heard this before. Some of you, maybe it's the first time you've seen it laid out like this, and I hope it'll be really helpful to you. When you think of God's deliverance, you have to think of it past, present, and future. And so this is going to be on the screen, kind of, we're going to go across. So let's start with the past. When you think of your being redeemed, you're being forgiven, there is a past element to it. You are saying, we have been delivered. We have been forgiven. What have you been delivered from? You have been delivered from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, right? For the wages of sin is death. Well, you and I deserve, because we were sinners, transgressing against God as we deserved eternity in hell. To spend eternity separated from God. C.H. Spurgeon writes, It would not be possible for God to forgive and yet punish us. So through Christ, His dying in our place, we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. Here's the theological word we use for this. It's actually also a biblical word. It's the word justification. If you hear that word justification, what does that mean? It means you have been justified, declared right with God. Past tense. Not this is going to happen in the future, past tense. When Jesus died, he, through his death, your believing in him, declared you to be right with him. He's already done this. This is yours, past tense. You're right with God. So here's a word. Rest. Rest. You and I are to rest in the finished work of Christ upon the cross. It is done. So we got a chair right here. If I am standing, what is ultimately holding me up? Yes, there's a platform up here, but what's holding me up is my legs. It's all my effort and my energy, and it's really, okay, how long can I stand here before I get tired and collapse? It's all on me. For some of you, you still think salvation is on you. You're resting in your own efforts. Justification says Christ has already done the work. So when I sit down in this chair, now what's holding me up? It's this chair. I can sit here for days. I'm not going to get tired. I'm just going to chill out because I'm resting on this chair. Spiritually, what you are resting on is the work of Christ on the cross. It's already done. You know why he's not going to send you to hell? Because you have believed in his son, and he has paid for the penalty of your sin. You don't have to question, am I going to go to hell? Not if you know Christ, because that work is finished. We have been delivered. But then there's a present aspect to this, and that is we are being delivered. We have been delivered from the penalty of sin, meaning we, don't, we won't go to hell through Jesus, but we are presently being delivered from the power of sin. We call this theological word sanctification. When, when you come to Christ, you are set apart, made right with God, but then, through the Spirit of God, you begin to live out your life to where you look more and more and more like Jesus. You know what happens? You all can testify to this. The longer you walk with Jesus and the more you rely on the Holy Spirit, the less power sin has in your life. Because the Spirit of God delivers us from that power of sin that enslaves us, so now we can have victory over those addictions and over that sin. Sanctification. So here's a word for you. Labor. Do not get, we have been and we are confused. Your having been delivered from the penalty of sin is all because of Christ. 
you rest in that. But now that you have been delivered from the penalty of sin, and he's wanting to deliver you from the power of sin, you strive to walk in a manner worthy of him. Again, doing it all through the power of the Spirit of God, but you're going to labor. You're going to labor to study God's Word, to read God's Word. You're going to labor, whatever it takes, to pray, to to seek the Spirit of God, and to become more like Him. So that labor isn't so that you will be saved, but it's in light of what Christ has done for you, now you want to be more holy in your life. And then there is a future tense, and that is we will be delivered. Have been delivered from the penalty. Are being delivered from the power. Oh, church, a day is coming in which we will be delivered from the presence of sin. Somebody say amen. Amen. Oh, church, a day is coming when Christ either calls us home or comes for his bride in which sin will be no more. No more addictions. No more pain. No more wrestling with this because the presence of sin will forever be removed as we are now in the presence of God. Theologically, we call this glorification. A day's coming in which God's going to give us these glorified bodies. We're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth with Christ. No more sin, no more tears, no more pain, all of that gone. So here's a word for you, hope. Hope. Run the race. Finish your race well because you know what's awaiting you. We are bound for the promised land. But I loved singing that this morning. We are on our way to the promised land, and when we get there, we will forever be in the presence of Jesus. Now, don't get these confused and mixed up. Some people do this. Some people think that you can presently be without sin. No. You will forever, in this body, deal with sin. You're never going to get to the point where sin is removed from you in these bodies. right? Some people think the penalty of sin is in the future. And so they're walking around, they think, I'm just a miserable, wretch person, God couldn't love me, he, can't, he couldn't forgive me again, he must be so disappointed in me. No, not if you understand, you've already been delivered from the penalty of sin, you are in Christ, and he sees you as he sees Christ. You must understand, the salvation is a glorious thing that God has done in the past, he's presently doing it, and he will continue to do it until we see him face to face. So that is the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Number two, we'll go through this one. Much quicker, that is the riches of God's grace. The riches of God's grace. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses, according to, that's the word kata. We've already seen it in this long sentence. According to, our redemption, our forgiveness is according to what? Your efforts? Your ability? Your strength? Your good deeds? No. It is according to what? Please see these verses. It is according to the riches of his grace. The riches. That simply means the wealth of God. His redemption, his forgiveness is according to his riches, his abundance. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God's grace isn't running low. You understand that? Maybe you walked in here and you thought, man, I blew it again this week. God must be so tired of me, so fed up with me. I wonder if he'll pour out his grace on me again church god is not on the verge of declaring bankruptcy amen god is not about to run out of grace he has an unbelievable unlimited amount of grace that he pours out upon us right he says which is according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us paul draws us to god's riches and his grace over and over and over in ephesians according to the riches of his grace That means you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's according to the riches of His grace. 
which he lavished upon us. It means God provides an abundance of it. He provides a great deal of it. It's as if you are standing there in wave after wave after wave of God's grace just washes over you. It never stops pouring itself upon you. This is his grace. And it is available to you this morning, the riches of his grace. And then he says this, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, commentaries disagree on what this in all wisdom and insight is referring to. Is it referring to what precedes or what follows? And so if, it, if it's what follows, then what it's saying is in all wisdom and insight, God in perfect wisdom and perfect insight has a plan, verse 9, verse 10, and it's looking forward. I tend to believe um, that in all wisdom and insight is speaking of what preceded. So not only has God blessed us with redemption and, and salvation and adoption and forgiveness of sins, but he has also lavished upon us all wisdom and insight so that we, through the Spirit of God, have wisdom and insight. O'Brien, in his commentary, writes, God's lavish grace has bestowed on us not only redemption, but along with this, all the necessary wisdom and insight by which we should live wisely. So God has poured out upon you all that you need to live wisely, to live a life that is pleasing to him through the Spirit of God, who we will talk about next week. And that leads us to point number three, and that is the revelation concerning Jesus Christ. The revelation concerning Jesus Christ, verses 9 and 10. So every religion, every philosophy, and there are many different religions, many different philosophies, all basically are trying to answer, I think, the same four questions. And, and I believe Christianity answers these questions better than any other religion or any other philosophy. The first question is, how do we get here? How, how do we get here? How did the earth come into existence? Are we here because there's one true God, Elohim, who created us? That's what the Bible teaches. Did we get here because there's just some intelligent designer out there? Did we get here through years and years of, of just natural process, no supernatural, all natural evolution? Right? How did we get here? Second question, what in the world happened? Like, how did this world get so messed up and jacked up? How did you and I become so messed up and jacked up? And the Bible answers that. It's because of sin. It's because of Adam and Eve's sin. It's also because of my sin and your sin. Sin brings about a curse. We're living in a fallen, broken world. Third question, how can it be fixed? Can this messed up, jacked up world be fixed? Again, I believe the Bible answers that clearly. The answer is yes, it can be fixed, and it can be fixed only through Jesus Christ. The perfect Son of God who forgives us of our sins, redeems us, makes us right with God so that we can live out the purpose that God designed for us. That's how this gets fixed. And then the fourth question is this, where is it all heading? Where is it all going? How is this going to end? Verses 9 and 10 in Ephesians 1 answers where all of this is heading, how it's going to end. John Stott writes, history is not meaningless nor purposeless. It is moving towards a glorious goal. So what is that goal? What was God's plan before the foundation of the world. Verse 9. Verse 8. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. There's that word, mystery. 
that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Laonida in their Greek lexicon writes this, this term in English, so the way that we think of the word mystery, refers to a secret which people have tried to uncover, but which they have failed to understand. That's how we understand the word mystery. It's a problem to be solved. So whether it's Scooby-Doo or Murder, She Wrote, or whatever modern show you watch today, right? Where you're watching this entire episode, trying to piece together these things. They're trying to solve the riddle, solve the problem, solve the murder, right? It's a problem to be solved. Vines, in his lexicon, writes, In an ordinary sense, a mystery implies knowledge withheld. For us, again, in modern English, it's a mystery because there's knowledge that is being withheld. We don't have all the details or the facts. But that's not how mystery is understood in Scripture. When he talks about the mystery of his will, it's not that he has left us to figure it out in the dark, trying to piece together these things. Mystery in the Scriptures, Vine says, simply means truth revealed. The Greek word does not refer to a problem to be solved, but rather a truth revealed. It was hidden, but it's now made known. Let me give you a couple examples. One of them is in Ephesians chapter 3. Turn there, verses 3 through 5. Because Paul uses this word mystery several times. Verse 3, chapter 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Here it is. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It was not made known, but now it has been made known to me. And then we have Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. It was hidden, but it has now been revealed. Church, this is really, really important for us. God has made himself known through revelation, not speculation. We are not speculating what God is going to do at the end. We are not speculating what God may have done through Jesus. We know, and we know because God has made it known. He revealed himself to Paul, inspired of God, inspired of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote this down. It has been preserved throughout the generations by the Holy Spirit. It is in our hands, the divine, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, effective Word of God. And he tells us, what the plan is. Understand, as you read from Genesis to Revelation, this is a gradual, progressive unfolding, unveiling. Uh, starting next Sunday night, David is going to begin a study in our Sunday night Bible study working through Daniel, right? God could have, back in Genesis 1-1, told us the entire plan. He could have, in Daniel, told us the entire plan, but he doesn't. It's unfolded. We see types and we see shadows in the Old Testament pointing us to Christ. But as he begins to make it known, it's like, oh yeah, now we see because God has revealed it. So what is this plan? So go back to Ephesians 1, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. And then he begins to say a few things about this. It's according to his purpose. It's according to the good pleasure of God to make this known. It's according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, which he purposed in Christ. I love what R.C. Sproul writes. He said, it is not simply that God has a goal or a plan, but that he has a divine, omnipotent ability to work out that plan. 
See, God had a plan. He also has the ability to work out that plan. And that's exactly what he has done. So he continues, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Fullness of time. What in the world does that mean? It just simply means when the time is right, at the right time. Listen to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When did God send Jesus? The fullness of time. At the right moment, when the time was right, according to his divine purposes, he sent forth Jesus to us. Now, what is that plan? All right, so go look at your, look at your verses here. Making known to us the mystery of his will. And then he adds a few things as a plan for the fullness of time. So the way this reads is this way. Making known to us the mystery of his will. What is that mystery? It is simply this. To unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. That's God's plan. It is that he is going to unite all things in Christ. That word unite means to bring everything together. It means he's going to sum it all up in Christ. Now, at the present time, I don't know if anybody wants to argue this point, but at the present time, the universe is anything but unified. God's universe is not unified. In fact, creation is longing and groaning for it to be unified. It's why we see famines and earthquakes and, 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 and hurricanes, right? The, the earth, the universe is, is in flux, right? It's, it's yearning for this. It's not unified. You look at humanity. Humanity is corrupted, divided. We are splintered. We are anything but unified. So here's what we know. What we know from Scripture is that right now, Jesus Christ is the head of his body, the church. That's what Ephesians 5 teaches. We know that Christ right now is the head, I think it's kephale, the head of the church. The church is supposed to come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul's saying. But a day is coming in which all things in heaven and on earth will acknowledge the headship of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying a day is coming in which every rebellious, evil spirit in the heavenly places that we are doing battle with right now, a day's coming at the fullness of time, at just the right moment, when every evil spirit will acknowledge and confess the headship of Jesus Christ. A day is also coming in which every rebellious human being on earth who curses God, who wants nothing to do with God, who doesn't believe in God, who mocks our love for Jesus. A day is coming, Paul says, in which every single human being who has ever lived, who is living, or who will ever live is going to acknowledge the headship of Jesus Christ. Everyone, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess as God brings it to its culmination, and he unites all things in his Son. The ESV Study Bible says the work of Christ on the cross is the central axis for the history of creation. John MacArthur says history belongs to God, not to the puny plans of man or the perverse power of Satan. John Stott says in the fullness of time, God's two creations, his whole universe and his whole church, will be unified under the cosmic Christ who is the supreme head of both. Another author writes, paradise was lost in Adam, but it will be restored in Christ. So here's a takeaway for you as we think of verses 9 and 10. It'll be on the screen. Jesus Christ is not just the means by which we are saved. 
We are saved through his blood. He is the means by which we are saved. But Paul also teaches us he is the focal point for which we are saved. It's all about Christ. But he says not just for us, but for the entire creation. You all realize how countercultural this is, right? That it is all about Christ. Because in our culture, it's all about me, myself, and I. I remember early on in my life, I heard, can't remember what movie it was in, but I heard the song, It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Y'all know that song? I don't know why I'm singing so much today. Um, I just am, right? Think about that. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. That's the, the whole purpose of, of why we think we're here. That's what our culture believes. It's all about me. How many marriages, maybe your own marriage, do you treat it as if it's really about me? Or maybe you're in a marriage right now where your spouse thinks it's all about them. You're constantly butting heads because that doesn't work. How many of you right now are dealing with teenagers or young kids and, I mean, you're struggling because why can't I do this? Why won't you let me do this? Everyone else is doing this. Let me just be me. Malachi the other day said, why won't you just let me be me? It's like, dude, you're five. What are you talking about, man? You don't even know who you're supposed to be. Right? But that's, that's, that's our mentality. It happens at home. It happens in the workplace. How many people do you work with that you just don't like to be around them because it's always me? Let me tell you about me, 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 me. Everything, it's about me. Our relationships. Our body. This is what's at the heart of abortion. It's my body. It's what's at the heart of transgender. It's my body. This is how I feel. This is what I want to do with my body. Same-sex marriage. This is how I feel. I should be able to do what I want to do. And church, it affects the church. It's easy for us to pick on culture. And sometimes we do that. But we've got to look in the mirror because sometimes in church, we make it about us. We forget it's about Christ and it becomes about me and my feelings and my desires and here's what God is shouting to us this morning he is saying church I've got a plan and it centers on my son Jesus Christ he is the main point it's why we say church let's keep the main thing the main thing what's the main thing Jesus Christ it is all about Christ and we are heading to a place in time and oh how I hope it is sooner than later in which God is going to send forth his son and he is going to unite all things around Jesus. We know the verses. But just in case you don't, let me conclude with these verses. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, 10 and 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and he has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Look, I know most of you, you've already bowed your knee to Christ. He is Lord of your life. You, you acknowledge Him as Savior, right? You're loving Jesus. The Spirit of God is in you. You're trying to become more like Christ. But hear me, this morning, maybe you would say, look, I've never bowed my knee to Jesus. You might be watching online and you would say, look, I've never bowed my knee to Jesus. I've never given my life to Jesus. Hear me, a day is coming in which every single person will bow before Jesus and declare him to be King of kings and Lord of lords. But if you don't do it now and you wait till you stand before him and that's the first time you've ever confessed him to be Lord, at that moment it's too late for you. He'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you.
But he continues, not only will every knee bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Where is all this heading? It is heading to the place where God is going to unite it all together in his Son, Jesus Christ. See, church, here's what we believe. These verses are clear. Jesus is Savior. Do you know him as Savior of your life? Have you confessed your sins to him? Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned from your sins? Have you taken hold of Jesus and said, Jesus, save me, deliver me, forgive me. I deserve hell. Only you can give me eternal life. Jesus is Savior. But Paul is also very clear here. He's not just Savior. Jesus is King of kings. And he is Lord of lords. And so in your heart and in your life and in your marriage and in your parenting and here at church and at work, and on the ball field, and in school, can you say right now that Jesus is Lord of your life? That you believe he is King of kings and Lord of lords, and you want to live for him alone? Because one day, you're going to gather before him, and you're going to spend all eternity, and it's going to be all about him. So why not make it all about him right now? And let's just get a head start before we see Jesus face to face. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, I want you to know you have been prayed for this week. Maybe not by name. Maybe we, we just met you today. Maybe, maybe we, 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 we all think you're a believer, and in your heart you've been wrestling with, am I really a believer? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song together. And, and if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to be here at the front. And I just want you to come and, and give your life to Christ. Will you come and just take me by the hand and say, Pastor Aaron, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I've been redeemed and forgiven of my sins. But, but the Spirit of God has been working in my heart. And I want to get it right today. I want Jesus to be Savior and Lord of my life. If Jesus is already Savior of your life, are you trusting in that? Are you resting in that? Is that your identity that he has saved you? Is Jesus Lord over your life? Or have you bought into this cultural mentality that it's really all about me when in fact it should be all about Christ because all things will be summed up in Him? Maybe this morning you want to come and at the altar it's always open. You just want to kneel and pray for somebody. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you just want to bring it to the feet of God and say, God, this is my heart. This is what I'm struggling with. Will you help me? Maybe you have an addiction to sin you just need to say, Jesus, will you deliver me from it? I know the promise is there in your word. Help me. Father, as we sing the song, I believe we're getting ready to sing, Lord, I need you. God, may this just be the desires of our heart right now. Lord, we need you. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your power. We need your deliverance. Oh, God, we need you right now. So hear us as we sing. Spirit of God, have your way among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll be here at the front. If the Spirit of God leads you to make a decision this morning, you come and just share that with me.
and the numbers skyrocketing again. I know several of them, they've had to stay away for a period of time as they're going through treatment. Um, it's not safe to really visit with them. Some of them are older, but you can send cards. You can make phone calls. Um, one of them has been a member for a long time. The other lady going through it is, is relatively new. Don't forget, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be there to lift each other up. Some of our, we have, we have family, they have parents or they're going through cancer. Um, and it seems right now in our church that it's, it's really attacking some people. And so let us be the church of God that holds them up and encourages them and does whatever we can to love them um, as they go through this. All right, Chris is our deacon of the week, so he's going to come dismiss us with a word of prayer. Uh, if you'll stand, and don't forget, our kids are down in the, the children's wing today, not in the other building when you go pick them up. Yes. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the message we heard today, Lord. I thank you for that we are we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We are currently being delivered from the power of sin, and ultimately will be delivered from the presence of sin. Thank you for these great truths from Scripture, Lord, that we can we can hold on to and cling to. Pray for those in our church dealing with cancer. Uh, pray you touch their bodies and restore health to them. Uh, whatever treatment they're uh, having to endure, I pray you to uh, help them to. Endure that, Lord, and it would have its intended effect, and you just they would be, be back with us. We can uh, we love them and celebrate celebrate their deliverance from that. Pray be with us tonight. Uh, all those involved in the talent show, pray to uh, help them to remember their parts and their lines and their song, and pray we'd all do it for your honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.